Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Hey, welcome to summer. We do things a little bit differently here at Renewal during the summer. This is our our 10th uh, year doing it this way. We, we really believe that the paradigm that God gives us for understanding church life in the New Testament is the paradigm of family. It's the way we think about church is family. And um, I know it can be hard to lean into that because as, as Americans and Westerners, we really have a consumer mindset in, in most org- our approach to most organizations. And so um, we, have to, we have to change that a little bit. And so one way that we lean into that family is by having the young people just join us for the teaching time on Sundays. Um, because no matter whether you're, you know, 80 here today or you're eight, we believe that you are a valuable member of the family who has something to contribute, that you have infinite worth and that our family is better off with you as a part of it. And so uh, we're excited to have you kids with us today here in the front rows of the church demonstrating how to sit in the front rows of the church. I know you guys tend to sit more towards the back and the kids are here leading the way uh, and a child shall lead them. Blah, 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 blah. Um, we have some original artwork for this series. Uh, each week we'll have a, a, a piece of art provided by a young person in our church. I think Titus Motes, did Titus make this one? Yeah, way to go, Titus. I need a round of applause. We'll try to take a picture of them and put them on the screen. That's not so you kids know how to color it right. You color it however you want to color it. But it's so the adults can enjoy the, uh, the handiwork of the young people here. Um, uh, let's start off with a little game. Who wants to play a little game? All right, I do too. Uh, this is a game called Who's Most Likely To? And when I ask the question, who's most likely to, everybody points at the person in the room they think is the most likely to do that, Okay. So, uh, starting things off, who's most likely to tell a dad joke? All right, most people are pointing at, I, it looks like a, Kelly, Kelly wins the jo- the, the dad joke one? That's pretty good. I thought Josh Voth would, would come away with that with a runaway, but I don't know, he disappeared. Some of you were looking for him. All right, who's most likely to be cleaning up a spill here at church? Who's most likely to be cleaning up a spill? Okay, probably. Um, Okay, who's most likely to greet you at the front door? That's not me. Who's most likely to greet you at the front door? Yeah, we've got Randy. We got the Salvigs. That's yeah. That's 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 solid. Okay, who's most likely to be teaching a class upstairs? Who isn't upstairs right now? I guess. (laughs) We got some finger pointing happening. That's great. Okay, here's one. Who's most likely to be playing guitar? Playing guitar? Yeah, we got a few. Got a few around. Where is Danny today? And last but not least, who is most likely to be running? Who's most likely to be running? It's not me. It is not me. But it is, I have a feeling it's some of you guys. I have a feeling. So we're starting a new series this summer called Adventures in Acts. This is a series that's covering highlights of God working in the first generation of the church uh, in the book of Acts. Um, 
And, and when I think about adventures, I mean, the reason we called it adventures is an axis because this is a church. And if you, if you work a little alliteration into your sermon series titles, then uh, people give more money. So it's called Adventures in Acts. And um, when I think of a good adventure and what makes a good adventure, I think the unexpected is what makes something adventurous. Some of you might feel like that makes things inconvenient, but I feel like that makes things adventurous, the unexpected happening. I mean, what would you guys think if you came into church on a Sunday morning and Mackenzie Rambo, our youth pastor, was shredding the electric guitar? You would think, I had no idea she played guitar, right? What would you think if you came in on a Sunday morning and you saw uh, Bill and Nancy McCown running around chasing each other playing tag like some of you kids do? You would be like, that's completely unexpected. I didn't expect that at all. So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit blows into town on the day of Pentecost, and from there on, very unlikely, very unexpected things start happening. God begins using his people in amazing ways to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we're going to read about one of those unexpected things today here in Acts chapter 3. So you can turn your Bibles there to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start reading right at the beginning of the chapter. Acts 3 says, one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. This was at three in the afternoon. So back then, they would pray three to five times a day. And everybody in their culture had set offices, they called them, of prayer. And they would stop everything and pray three to five times a day, uh, depending on how, uh, which scholars you're talking to or depending on how committed these first century Jews really were. Anyhow, at the time that was 3 p.m., uh, they go into the temple to pray, and there was a man who was lame from birth, who was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. There he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Talking about things that are unexpected. Well, it was expected. It was normal for this man to be in the temple. The story says he was there every day. He could have been there every day for years, as far as we know. And those who would walk in would pass him all the time. So think about people that you pass regularly. Some of you that drive to work at the same time every day probably see the same cars on the road every now and then at intersections. You're like, oh, we must start work at the same time. Or you see the same co-workers showing up the same time as you. So here this man is every day. He's by this gate called Beautiful. It's a gate that is uh, it's between the court for the women in the temple and the court, the inner court where only the men were allowed to go. Uh, first century Jewish society was a little less inclusive than ours. And so you had the outer courts where the Gentiles were welcome. And then only Jews could go in beyond that. The next level in was a court for the women, and then you went through a gate called Beautiful, and inside of there was another court for, uh, for the men only, uh, the, the Jewish men only. Um, now, it's not perfectly clear, but because of how Jewish people in, in the first century uh, and, and how the scriptures associate uh, the idea of spiritual impurity with things like disabilities or sin, there's a number of scholars that would believe that this particular lame man 
couldn't go inside the beautiful gate into the inner courts where the men were allowed, that this was as close as he could get to uh, to the inner courts because he was uh, lame. Um, anyhow, he's there. He's by the gate. People pass him all the time. And he's there and he's begging for money. I mean, we have some places around town where you might see some of those people who are most expected to be in the Triangle Mall begging or most expected to be outside the parking lot of Home Depot. And that would have been this guy. He's there at the temple and, and you walked past him and, and probably everybody, you know, remembered he was there. There was probably times that people would talk about, oh, yeah, so and so that sits there on the mat. Um, he's there hanging out. And every day he's probably getting some money. Part of the Jewish religion was was encouragement and commands to care for the poor. And so it's pretty strategic as a poor person to be in the temple where the Jewish people are going to practice their worship of God because they might be thinking as they walk in, oh, yeah, that's right. God wants me to care for the poor. And so uh, he probably wouldn't be hanging out there if it at least wasn't a somewhat reliable form of income. Anyhow, he's sitting there. This is happening all the time. Peter gets his attention, and he's expecting Peter to give him something, probably money or, or maybe food. But then Peter says something unexpected in verse 6. Verse 6, Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. You kids that, are, that have your coloring sheets, on the back side of that is a fill in the blank. And I just threw the answer up on the screen. So if you want to cheat, go for it. The underlined bolded words are the ones that are the answers to that fill in the blank. If any of you adults are working on the fill in the blank, I, I just helped you out as well. Um, so he says, uh, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And taking him by the hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went in with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is the kind of thing that would be unexpected. This is the kind of thing, imagine what you might walk into church and say, that is the last thing I expected to see today. And this is that thing. Nobody came to the temple today thinking, I bet somebody's going to get healed. And I bet someone who's been sitting here for years, day after day, is going to get up and is going to be jumping and running around. Let's also not gloss over the fact that this could very well be the first time that this man got into the temple. He'd been lame from birth. He'd never been allowed to go that close into the inner part where the men were allowed to worship. Whether this is for the first time or just the first time without being carried in there, imagine his joy. Imagine how much your life would be changed. Any of you ever watch like a game show on TV and somebody wins, you know, a life-changing amount of money? Sometimes people act like they've won a life-changing amount of money and you're like, that's not a life-changing amount of money. <laughs> you're going to spend that in a month. I just know it. Um, this man is overjoyed. His life has changed forever. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be sitting and begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And so they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They're in the inside. 
this ruckus is brewing. The Holy Spirit's doing things, and 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 uh, people are excited, and uh, and and they end up moving out of there, out into uh, the outer court. It says, "Well, the men, well, the man held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is on the east side of the women's court. So, you know, the the holy things are happening inside, and so they take it out to the cafe." Um, and the people are coming running to see what has happened. I'm imagining a scenario here where uh, something exciting happens and they take it out to the cafe and then people are running out of here to go and see. And I just, I think to myself, I don't even know what would get you guys to, to run out there. <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah, you can scarcely get someone to answer a question around here. And, and or to to clap, you know, after like a good time of worship. Like, what would it take to have people out of their chairs running somewhere? This is a big deal. And and you can imagine, yeah, it really is a big deal because this didn't happen on the regular back then, and this still doesn't happen on the regular today. Lame people don't just suddenly gain the ability to walk and be jumping around the building praising God. I mean, I wish it did, but we don't see that every day. It's a miracle, and miracles don't just happen. But here's something really important. We have to remember that Acts is a sequel book. It's part two of the Gospel of Luke. So the author of Acts wrote the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, it's all about Jesus, this one who's sent by God, who's doing the miracles all the time. And then Jesus leaves, and now we're faced with a scenario where one of his followers has just performed a miracle. There's this scene where Jesus is cleansing the temple in Jerusalem after he, he does his triumphant entry. And, and uh, this is out of the Gospel of Matthew. It talks about him. He chases the money changers out, and he, and he says, my house is going to be called a house of prayer. And then the story ends with the scene of, of the blind and the lame coming to Jesus in the temple and him healing them there. The teachers and the Pharisees see what he's done and hear the things that people are saying about him and and they're indignant. They're upset that he's there healing people. But here is Jesus in that scene healing people in the temple. And then here we are sometime later in the same temple and Jesus isn't there, but one of his followers is there healing somebody. And if we're reading scripture the way that we're meant to read scripture, then we're able to hold those two stories in each hand and see a connection there. Oh my gosh, as you read the story of Peter healing a lame person in the temple, you're supposed to think of the story of Jesus healing the lame person and saying in your mind, what is this saying to me? This is remarkable. Jesus isn't here, but one of his followers is doing the very thing that Jesus did. Wow, one of Jesus' followers is healing a lame person in the temple, just like Jesus did. What could this mean? I think what the book of Acts is trying to communicate to us is that God's plan is for his followers to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. God's plan is for us to continue Christ's work. It's why he sent his Holy Spirit. That's why he established his church. Because when Jesus was crucified and risen and ascended to heaven, the work was not done. He means for us to pick up where he left off. The crowd is gathered there in the court of the women. 
Peter sees the crowd gathered and he begins to speak. We'll pick it back up in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, my fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus Christ. I'm just going to confess that if somebody came in here today and couldn't walk and and somebody said in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk and they started walking, that would that would define my expectations for the morning. I, I know I know I should be setting my expectations a little bit higher than they are. But I just, I wouldn't think it. I mean, especially on Father's Day of all Sundays. This is like the routine, get in, get out, do the thing, and go out to lunch, right? It would defy my expectation. I would be surprised. How interesting is it that when Peter addresses the crowd, he says, why are you guys so surprised? It's almost like there's a bit of a reminder. Do you guys recall who it is that we're worshiping in this temple? It's Yahweh. It's the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the same God that we've talked about for years in the Torah, who, you know, delivered the Israelites and brought the plagues on Egypt and provided the manna in the wilderness and did miraculous things for all of our people's history. Why are you surprised that this has happened here today? And that same God has glorified his servant, Jesus, picking up in the middle of verse 11. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you know was made strong. And it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man, as you all can see. Peter's taking a moment to explain the unexpected to the people there in the temple. The healing has gotten their attention. The healing has drawn a crowd. And Peter sees this as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to talk about Jesus. How many of you have ever done some form of street evangelism, talked about Jesus in a public setting? How many of you have ever done like, I mean, missionary outreach work? Uh, so in the early 2000s, uh, I did a fair amount of missionary outreach work. And uh, we would, uh, step number one is you got to draw the crowd because you can't just go out there and, and not, you know, speak to nobody. And so uh, our, our plan for, we're, you know, Westerners doing cross-cultural ministry, our plan for drawing a crowd was uh, we would, you know, play a Christian song, and then uh, maybe some of us would do a little dance, you know, and, uh, or we'd play a Christian song, and maybe some of us would do a skit, told a story about God, and, uh, and let me tell you, the crowds would come. And, uh, and after we'd lured them in with our skillful performances, uh, we we would be like gotcha, and then we would proclaim the gospel, and uh, and sometimes it was really great, and, and sometimes it wasn't. Then about a decade after doing that, uh, when I was in youth ministry, we collaborated with a bunch of other youth ministries here in town, and uh, and we held some large, e- exciting events. Uh, we needed a crowd, so step number one here was give away an extravagant prize with a raffle. 
you got to give away something good or the young people aren't going to come. We had music, we had lights, uh, and we had more prizes because we weren't sure the music and lights were going to be enough. And then we had even more prizes. (laughs) You give a lot of stuff away in America if you want to draw a crowd. Um, You know, and then we, and then after we'd done all the fun stuff, before we gave everything away so people didn't leave, we would be like, gotcha. And then we would proclaim the gospel and, and things would happen. And great. And I wonder at times if there were some flawed, be, I, like flawed philosophies behind our well-intentioned crowd-drawing approaches. But one, because you just don't see things like that in Scripture. And, and it does make sense for people from an affluent culture to just naturally lean into the idea that, that uh, entertainment or giving something away is a way to draw a crowd. Um, you know, so much of our life and our culture revolves around keeping ourselves entertained. You know, the worst thing that could happen to one of your kids is that they're bored, right? In their minds. Like, I'm bored. And you're like, oh, man, your life is so hard. I'm so sorry you're bored. Um, it's, it's natural for us to lean into these things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done any of that. But I am going to say this. Man, I would prefer the Acts method. I would prefer that the people come because they've witnessed the power of God or they come because they're hoping or expecting to witness the power of God than they came because we were given, given away something good or because we put, a lot, put on a good show. Partly, well, mostly because when God does something unexpected, people seem willing to actually listen and actually change. We did these youth outreaches, and we had lists. Man, we had lists of, you know, 100 kids who gave their heart to the Lord. Um, I don't know where they all are now. I'm pretty sure they're not in church. I'm pretty sure most of them aren't. You know, when we lean on our own devices to try to draw the crowds and then gotcha the gospel and then hope they'll respond, it's so different than when God comes in and disrupts what is normal, and what is expected in our world. So often, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of other pastors, and, and I'm fairly familiar with pastoral culture and, and Christian ministry. And so many ministers and so many ministers ministries, they feel frustrated by flocks that seem to only be here for the entertainment. And it has been said that whatever you do to get people into church is what you're going to have to do to keep them there, to get them to stay. And those who show up in the crowd because they've witnessed the power of God have a whole different reason to stick around than the people who show up for different reasons. They have different kinds of expectations. And I really believe that there's staying power for the people who show up because of the power of God rather than showing up because of the raffle or the concert or the lights or whatever else it was. In this story, God empowers Peter for a miracle. And Peter preaches the gospel, and he tells the crowd, this healing happened by faith in Jesus. We could paraphrase the rest of his teaching through the next part of that chapter. He testifies that Jesus is the promised one who is spoken about all the way back to Moses. But even before that, but Moses said, there's going to be a prophet who's going to come who's like me who's going to lead you, and I want you to listen to him. And Peter's confronting the crowd saying that that anointed one came, 
and you didn't listen to him. He proclaims the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, and he is now empowering us to do these miracles so that we can tell you about who he is. As the adventure in Acts unfolds, many of Jesus' followers become empowered by God's Spirit. You can't read through the rest of the book, and we'll get through a number of the highlights this summer, but you can't read through it and not come away with the idea that this kingdom that Jesus preached was coming. As that kingdom begins to take hold in a broken and a fallen world, things are now different. God is doing something new in humanity, and there's supposed to be a new normal that we're expected to live in. Where before he came, it was just the all-stars who got to do the stuff. You know, the the famous prophets from the Old Testament, or the famous judges, or the the famous leaders, and the Messiah himself. There was a select few that God used, and he poured out his spirit and anointed them for ministry. But in the book of Acts, as God is doing something new, it's like the doors are blown wide open on it, and anybody is anointed for ministry. Not just the apostles, but all kinds of people end up doing crazy stuff. It's like what was prophesied by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And Peter testifies it in Acts 2. He brings it up when God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Why would God pour out his spirit on all flesh? Because God's spirit is all about empowering his people for miracles, to see and experience the unexpected so that they can all share the gospel with other people. My hope this summer as we embark on this adventure in the book of Acts together, my prayer is that we would experience the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our own lives. That our faith would be increased just a little bit. That we would go through this summer expecting God to do unexpected things. I think if we can learn to expect the unexpected when we're walking with Jesus, when we're walking in step with his spirit, we might just be surprised at how many opportunities we end up with to share the gospel with others. Because if God is anything, he's a God who shows up and loves revealing himself to humanity. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a few minutes to uh, talk with each other about this, I think. Let me check the time. Yes, I am. Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these stories that you've given us in Scripture. Uh, We thank you for the plan that you have to use us to continue the work of Jesus Christ. Who are we that you would call us? Uh, Lord, we're, we're not worth anything. And yet you have chosen to reveal your goodness through us. And so we just submit to your choice today and we say, here we are. We want to do the things that you have called us to do. We want to be empowered by your spirit for the ministries that you've called us to have, for the impact that you've designed us to have on our community. We just invite you to, um, to show us how to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking some time to talk with each other. We're just going to turn our attention to the Lord's table to finish the service today. Uh, the, the paradigm for church life together is family. Family equals church life together.
the paradigm that Scripture gives us for ministry life, uh, for what it means to be a child of the King, for what it means to be a minister of the gospel, um, the paradigm we have for that is Jesus Christ. And so uh, at times the, the sort of the what would Jesus do adage can feel a little defeating because you're like, I don't know, Jesus would just like touch him and heal him. and I just don't seem to be able to do that the way he does. Um, but I do think there's something, I don't think it's a mistake that, uh, that Jesus said, you know, you're going to do even greater things than me when the Holy Spirit comes. I don't think it's, it's it, it, I should say it this way, it is by design that Jesus is the one who goes before us to show us what it looks like to be fully human, to be who God has created us to be. And, and one of the things that Jesus demonstrated for us was his love for us in laying down his life. And so every week we come in, uh, to the Lord's table that's been set with bread that represents Christ's body and a cup that represents his blood, uh, the body that was broken for us, and the blood that sealed a new covenant between God and humanity where God is no longer counting our sins against us. And so um, the hope is in some way, some mysterious way, as each week we join ourselves to Christ in through the the uh, the sacrament of communion, uh, as we join with Him and celebrating and and uh, recognizing His sacrifice, proclaiming His sacrifice, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, that more and more we will become like Him. And in the case of our series this summer, like Him, empowered to do the things that God has called us to do. And so. Lord, we just thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the body and the blood. We thank you that you have freely given us everything that's needed to reconcile us to yourself as well as empower us for who you have called us to be. Uh, we pray that as we just turn to your table, uh, that we would, uh, we would be changed. We would be made new uh, by your sacrifice again today. In Jesus' name, amen.